With all due respect to Eddie Cochran, there is a cure for those summertime blues. It's summertime travel. Now boarding for this episode of Live Happy Now. The ancient Greeks defined happiness as the joy you feel moving towards your potential. To think about positive psychology, it's a science. And it's actually younger than the Internet, believe it or not. The reality is that social connection is, in the research, the greatest predictor we have of long-term happiness. You have some factors in your control that can promote the health and resilience and growth of your absolutely most important asset, which is your brain. And so it all comes down to understanding ourselves. There's a way for all of us to succeed, but, but it might take different things. We're all looking for the same thing, and that's a way to bring a little bit more joy to our day. Join us as we look at the many different paths that lead us to that happy place. This is Live Happy Now. Hello and greetings and welcome to another edition of the Live Happy Now podcast. I am your host, J.R. Houston. Thrilled that you are making us a part of your day wherever you are in the world and however you may be listening. We thank you for tuning in as well to Live Happy Radio, which airs each Sunday at 8 o'clock Central Time on Radio.com. Or if you happen to live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, 98.7 K Love. If you like the show, hey, feel free to tell your local stations about it. We're not above trying to reach more and more people each and every week. We also would encourage you to maybe pass out a couple copies, Live Happy Magazine. It's available at your local newsstands. It is also available by subscription. It is also available in a digital edition. You can get it in the Google Play or in the Apple Store and put it on your phone or tablet and take it anywhere along with all those special features that come along with it. Well, it is the heart of the summertime travel season as we launch this episode. And Jamie Kurtz is joining us, the Associate Professor of Psychology at James Madison University. And her research on happiness and savoring has been published widely in scientific journals, receiving national attention from NPR and even the Today Show. She is the author of The Happy Traveler, Unpacking the Secrets to Better Vacations, and Live Happy Science editor Paula Phelps explored travel tips to help make the most of your summer vacations. Jamie, it is really exciting to have you with us here today. Uh, I've been reading The Happy Traveler. What a fantastic book. Really, really glad that you can sit down and talk with us about it today. Oh, thank you so much. I'm really thrilled to be here. One of the things as I was looking at it, it's such a great book. It combines, you know, theories of happiness with the research and, and travel, which is something most of us are interested in. So one of the questions that popped up for me is, I just wondered what made you so interested in studying travel as it relates to happiness? Yeah, great question. So I love travel deeply, passionately, love it. And in my late teens, early 20s, even into my early 30s, I was longing to travel. It was just what I fantasized about. I would go to Barnes & Noble and just like browse the travel section for hours and think about all the places I might go. And then into my kind of mid-30s, I started having a little bit more money because I had a job and <laughs> a, little bit, a little bit more time um, because as a faculty member, I would have you know, a chunk of time in the summer. And so I could finally fulfill my dream of, of traveling. So I started designing these trips and going, and I started finding that you know I wasn't actually having the time that I was hoping for. It wasn't quite as magical as I had dreamed. And the irony is that I am happiness researcher. So <laughs> if I can't craft these great experiences for myself and enjoy them, maybe maybe there's a problem. <laughs> um, so I started thinking about and asking others about their travel experiences, kind of 
you know, a little bit apprehensively because it just felt like the brattiest question <laughs> to be asking people, like, oh, I'm not having such a great time. <laughs> like, yeah, it's hard to complain to others when they're at, at, mm-hmm. at their desk and you're traveling. Yeah, but, you know, once we got talking, I started realizing that this was a bit of a common phenomenon. So I started kind of unpacking why travel poses some some challenges. And I ran into my own research area, actually, as I was doing this, because really traveling, projecting into the future where you're going to want to be and how you're going to want to spend your time is actually a bit of a challenge, well, we don't think about it. We think it's just going mm-hmm. to happen and we're going to have this great experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you plop yourself down in a beautiful place, and, of course, all of these wonderful feelings are just going to naturally follow, and that's, it's, it's not enough. It's like setting the stage for a good time, but there's a lot of psychology involved in how we enjoy these experiences that I became really fascinated by. And with your book, you you really get into that. And one thing that I love about your book is how you really take it from the planning stage to all the way through the execution and the return. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, what's so interesting to me is that travel is such a rich experience, but people do. Mm -hmm. We end up feeling disappointed after a big trip. So can Mm -hmm. you address why that is? Like why when we go have this terrific experience and then we feel a little ripped off? Well, part of it is is there's so much marketing in travel, right? It's this billion-dollar industry that is based on selling us, selling us the fantasy, right? So one thing that happens is you finally get to the place of your dreams, and, you know, it's, maybe it's been glamorized a bit perhaps. Mm-hmm. So, for example, let's say you go to Disney World, and all the images are of, you know, Mickey and Minnie, and, and that's part of it, but what's left out of all of those images is, the oppressive heat, the long lines, <laughs> the, the melting prices. ice cream on the sidewalk. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, an experience that uh, my fiance and I had a couple of years ago, we went to Costa Rica, which is one of our favorite places and we love it. Mm-hmm. And um, we booked this hotel that had the um, Arnal volcano right there. And we're like, wow, this is amazing. So we get there and the volcano had we're pretty sure I'd been photoshopped into the picture. <laughs> so how can you not be just a little bit disappointed by, by like that's an extreme example, but how can you not be a little bit disappointed by that? Um, so that's something we call misconstrual in psychology. Like you're just imagining the wrong thing. Um, and that's, that's not quite as interesting as some of the psychological factors that, that kind of get in our, we get in our own way sometimes. So, mm-hmm. There's some really interesting new research out there uh, by Iris Mouse and June Gruber and several others looking at these kind of big ticket items like travel and other, other times when we're really trying hard to be happy, really trying hard to enjoy ourselves. And what happens is you can't do that. It, it backfires. So travel is a time that we generally we invest a lot of money in, a lot of effort, and it's rare. It's very special. So we go on these trips and we can put this extra pressure on ourselves to just enjoy every moment, and oftentimes that backfires. Uh, so we find what do we do? Because that's very normal. We all we mm-hmm. think it's going to be perfect, and there's also that pressure that our friends are waiting for us to come back with this fantastic story. And right. And so that adds to our own pressure of, like, I've got to have this great experience that I can tell about. Mm -hmm. So how Mm -hmm. do we manage that? Mm -hmm. 
it's it's really hard. I think if we go into it knowing that not every not every moment of this is going to be wonderful. There's going to be times that we're tired, times that we're stressed, annoyed with each other. Um, that's part of it. It's part of the experience. And um, so, not having our expectations set on set on perfection, but just on you know a nice time. So lowering the bar a little bit. And then also um, some other researchers, uh, Barbara Fredrickson and Sarah Algio and others, have been looking at kind of an alternative to this, what they call valuing happiness, this pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, they call it uh, prioritizing positivity. And it's more to do with like kind of putting yourself in the position of having a good time, like setting the stage, but focusing more on the outside world. So... You know, I'm going to be around people who I enjoy in pretty places doing the activities that I like. So focusing on kind of setting the stage outside of yourself right. and then turning less attention inward um, and just kind of trusting that it'll, it'll unfold. So there's similar ideas, but one is a little bit more obsessed about our own internal state, which we often can't really control. Mm-hmm. And the other is more about focusing on the outside, which we can and let me ask you, when you are in a situation where it's like, oh, this isn't, it is oppressive heat, and there are crying children, mm-hmm. and there is ice cream melting on the sidewalk that I just stepped in, how do you shift to make that, how do you, how do you turn that into a, a positive? Because I try, tend to do something mm-hmm. like, well, you know what, at least I'm not sitting in a cubicle, at least I'm not this, you know, it's like I, I really try to bait myself that way. Um, but what are some ways that you can do that to switch out of that, uh, this just happened moment, mm-hmm. and and look at the big picture of your travel? Mm-hmm. One thing I always tell myself is, it's oh, it's going to be a great story later. <laughs> these, <things> are, <laughs> these are some of the, the greatest stories, travel gone wrong. Um, so that perspective can, I think, can really help. And then also... This is where the, having that right travel companion can also be so important when you're traveling with someone who finds these things really funny right. um, and you can laugh together. That is a valuable travel companion. I have a pers- uh, my friend Kate and I have had some travel snafus together, and she has such an ability to laugh at these things and like really value them as stories, and it's taught me a lot about how I, I should do the same. That's <laughs> terrific. I love that because turning it into, yeah. oh, my gosh, how am I going to tell this later, that's, that's a great mm-hmm. way to get yourself out of the moment. Right, right. It also changes your perspective, right, from, like, from right now and what's happening in this moment to kind of panning out and seeing it in a bigger picture and realizing, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a snafu, but it's not, <laughs> it's not the end of the world. <laughs> That's great. And, you know, in that, something that's kind of similar in planning ahead, we we talk about the anticipatory savoring as a way mm-hmm. to enhance your travel experience even before it begins. And that's something I know here at Live Happy, we're really, really fond of the, the anticipatory savoring aspect. So can mm-hmm. you talk about really what that is and how we mm-hmm. can cultivate that to make this trip mean more? Sure. So I should say um, that there's kind of a delicate balance because we don't want to do so much anticipating and so much research and so much building up that then the experience itself disappoints us. Right. Right. So we have to kind of be mindful of that. But that said, um, there's this study that gets cited a lot that had a sample of uh, travelers in the Netherlands before, during, and after their vacation. They were asked to just keep track of their moods, and the researchers found that 
many people actually felt happier before they left mm-hmm. than during, uh, which I think makes a lot of sense because, like we had talked about, in advance of a trip, it's all just fantasy, right? It's all wonderful. It's all perfect. And you're comparing it to what you're currently living in, which is like your work life and lots of stress. And, oh, my gosh, you have this great thing on the horizon. It's wonderful. And then you get there, and, yeah, it's probably still great, but it has a lot of reality <laughs> peppered in there, too. <laughs> so, um, so we, you know, we want to strike that balance, but also we want to, to use that time. Uh, in their book, um, Liz Dunn and Mike Norton, um, two colleagues of mine, wrote a book called Happy Money on how to spend oh, yeah. your money to um, promote happiness based on their research. And they talk a lot about anticipation and how when you have a positive experience coming up, if you give yourself the time to anticipate it, they call that like free happiness, mm-hmm. which I love that term. Like it doesn't cost any more, but it, you know, it adds in so much more pleasure. It's like bonus so, miles. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, so one simple thing is, you know, if you're planning a trip and you could either leave this weekend or in a month, a month would give you all that extra free happiness, all that mm-hmm. extra anticipation. So just putting a little gap between now and when you're leaving. And that and can then, also help yeah. in terms of not feeling so rushed or pressured or, you know, like, oh, my gosh, mm-hmm. now I have to get all this done. You know, I, I know I – before I'm going on a trip, I really want some time so that I can feel like I've closed out all my work, everything's in good hands, the dogs mm-hmm. are good, and, and now I can go instead of feeling like it's just been thrown together. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, so there's lots of good reasons why putting a little bit of a gap in between now and departure time is, is really good. And then you can you know, use um, things like Pinterest and the Internet, read blogs about where you're going. That can be a nice way to build the anticipation. Uh, I, I love just getting an old-fashioned guidebook and reading about the history and some of the culture and some of the things I might do there. Um, I love talking about it with other people, too. If I'm going on a trip with others, oh, you know, only this many more days until we're there, and what are we <laughs> going to do? And I found this great restaurant. Um, so, you know, using it in your, in your personal relationships as well. Um, so those are some ideas. That's terrific. Uh, and, and so then, you know, we get on the trip, and one of the things that you talk about, and this is a big one, I think, uh, you talk about unplugging from your technology and being able mm-hmm. to really immerse yourself in the culture. And obviously that's getting more and more difficult to do. So can you talk, first of all, why that's important, and then tell us how we can do that? Right. It's so important because every time we pick up our camera or we look at our phone or we log into social media, we run the risk of being very much pulled out of the experience that we're in. And we we feel that every day. It's become a very common phenomenon. But travel time is so precious. And I think that's a time when we really, really want to think hard about how we are engaging with, with our technology. This is a very new problem, right? So when I first started traveling, you know, if you want to connect with people back home, you, you sent a postcard and right. you'd probably get home before they even got it. <laughs> and that was the best you could do. But now we can be connected all the time. Um, and sometimes, you know, certainly that, that can be a good thing sometimes. Sometimes you feel homesick, you just want to say hi to your loved ones, but it also really runs the risk of taking us away. So uh, I think, you know, definitely some, some strategy, some mindfulness, is is a great place to start. So think about, do I really want to have an international calling plan? 
do I want to make it so easy for myself to just reconnect at, in, in a second? Um, do I want to take my phone with me every single day, everywhere I go? Um, and you might think, you know what, that might be, it might be really hard for me to leave it behind, but I'm going to try it and see how it goes. And it's going to be awkward and strange because we're so used to being wired, but mm-hmm. I bet that it would really promote getting, getting into the moment. Um, and I think also that a lot of the things that propel us toward our technology are very basic and really fundamentally good human needs, right? Like we want to be connected with people and that's normally really good. We want to preserve all the moments of our trip by taking all these photographs. And I think that's a coping mechanism in a sense, because it's really sad to think this wonderful experience I have only exists in this moment and soon I'll be gone. I might never come back here again. And that's really, that's very sad. So I'm just going to mm-hmm. preserve these moments by taking all these photos. So I totally understand these motives. In fact, I fall prey to them very often. <laughs> but there's a very, very um, high cost as well. Yeah, what does it do of, it to us when we mm-hmm. are so absorbed in capturing the moment that we're not living in it? I think we don't process it. We don't, we don't see it. It's almost like we outsource all of this memory making to our devices and we don't do it in our own brains so one study that I love and I talk about all the time um, was done at an art museum so this researcher in Maryland she took her class I guess to an art museum and it was like paintings and she took she had three different groups one group I think she asked them to just look at the paintings just just step back and just look at the paintings a second group, she said, I want you to take a photograph of each painting that you see, like a, like almost you were doing a postcard of it. So just pan out the whole thing on your screen. And then the third group, she said, I want you to look at each painting and sort of identify a detail that you think is the most interesting to you. It might be a brushstroke or an interesting color combination or something. And zoom in and take a picture of that. Then she let some time go by, and she showed all of these students the paintings that were in the museum and some that were not. And she asked them to identify the ones they had seen. And those who just sort of took a big picture picture of, of each painting didn't remember. It's like they were just, they weren't really being critical. They weren't really processing it deeply. Um, And that's what we do a lot when we travel. I think we just kind of pan out, try to capture a scene, move on to the next one. We don't really think about it. But those people who had been noticing a detail did remember So they were looking with a little bit more of a critical eye. And so that tells me that we can use our cameras and our technology in a, in a mindful way to help us along. It's not necessarily bad, um, but we can very easily fall prey to just kind of mindless snapping. And that's not, that's not good. So anything that gets you kind of really looking, really noticing, processing deeply can, can help. Um, So one thing I do when I take students on a study abroad class is that we spend a little bit of time going to a pretty pretty place, and instead of photographing it, we draw it, we sketch it, Mm. or we um, sometimes verbally describe it to someone who isn't there. And sometimes I get a little pushback on that because people don't think they can draw very well, and that's fine. It doesn't actually have to be good. It's just a way of noticing it's it's a it's a tool it's a technique to notice to see to to make memories and looking back my students tell me that 
so that's some of their most vivid memories when they actually just sit and take the time to look and notice and process what, what's in front of them. So that's, I think that's something that we've lost. Yeah, because it's been so, become so easy to just record everything, throw it up on our mm-hmm. Instagram, and we'll get to it mm-hmm. later. Exactly. There's also a challenge in coming home, too. Even while you're on that trip, you start dreading the end of that. So right. you had some really good tips about how to avoid that. Can can you talk mm-hmm. about that? Sure. Um, so this is a very real, very real problem. Um, so one thing you can do that's very small is give yourself something to look forward to when you come home, right? So give, depending on where you are and how long you've been gone, you might miss certain foods that you haven't been able to have. You probably miss certain people friends or family you've been away from, so making a plan to see them. Sometimes I'll even order just a little thing from Amazon or from some website that I know is waiting for me. Oh, and that's cool. A little, like a little trinket of some kind. <laughs> uh, like, oh, well, that, that thing is at home for me. Um, and that's just something small to look forward to. Um, another thing is leave a buffer. So I think one um, mistake that we make is assuming that more time away is better, right? So if you have 10 days of vacation, you should stay away for 10 days. Um, (laughs) Because if you're spending all that money on a plane ticket, you better make the most of it. But there's also research to suggest that when people come home and they don't leave any kind of buffer and they have to go immediately back to work the next day, they, like the, the relaxing benefits of their vacation are pretty much wiped out. Mm-hmm. Um, because you come home to, oh my gosh, to laundry and to mail. Chaos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all the chaos that you left behind is there, and you have to face that, and you also have to go back to work, and you might be jet lagged, and you can see how that would very quickly overwhelm you, and all of that relaxation that you've just enjoyed could be really wiped out. So leaving leaving a little bit of a buffer, half a day, a day. And not only does it reduce stress, but it can also allow you some time to reflect, mm-hmm. right, to take a moment and think, okay, what, what am I grateful for now about home? Um, what, what did I like about myself on the road? Sometimes you, you have these realizations of, right. oh, for example, I really liked not having a lot of clothing choices, that's one of my personal, <laughs> my personal <laughs> uh, realizations. Like I have too much stuff, and just having a suitcase is so liberating. Or, you know, I really liked walking. I loved being a pedestrian, and here at home, I just drive everywhere mindlessly. So it could be a nice time to kind of reflect on maybe right, new right. habits or new routines that you've developed, and a little bit of time to do that can be a, um, a really valuable thing. And, and you also mentioned, you talk about the peak end theory, and I, that's, I love that. And can you explain mm-hmm. what that is and how we can use that when we vacation? Sure. So the peak end rule is a really, um, it's a really robust finding. It cuts across many different life experiences. Uh, it has to do with memory. So when you look back over an experience that you've had and think about how it was, you don't give every moment of that experience equal weight. So what we do is we focus on the emotional high point or the peak and also on how the experience ended. So if trip ended with chaos and a lot of negativity, it might color your entire memory of that trip in a, in a negative way. But if it ended on a really high note, it might make the whole thing seem better. 
So it's an investment that you can make in, in your memory by ending on, on a peak or ending and, on a really high note. And can you give some mm-hmm. examples of, of what that might entail? Sure. So if you're thinking, you know, one night of this trip, we're going to have an epic meal. When should we do it? Or we're going to stay in a really, really nice place, but we can only afford doing it once. <laughs> so when should we do it? Well, the last night is, is maybe a, a really good choice um, for lots of reasons, not just the peak end rule, um, but that's, that's a really good one. And then you might, you might think, well, then it's just going to make coming home seem even harder. Um, but that doesn't seem to be the case, actually. You know, I've done it where I started out and did the really nice hotel the first night. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that's not the way to do it. <laughs> yeah, it makes everything else just seem a little bit less Yeah, good. I was like, and where's our butler? Oh. <laughs> right. <laughs> and yeah. the other things that followed it might be totally fine. Right. Just set, your, set up a really unfortunate comparison. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, once we get back, there's obviously there's so much research about the value of travel and vacation, and your book does a great job of, of showing several different uh, research papers and and different findings about that value and how do we then keep it alive after the trip is ended obviously it can't just be good for that period of time that we're gone what is the best way for us to keep it alive and keep enjoying the effects of that trip Mm -hmm. right well I'm sure you've heard the research that uh, experiences are better investments for your happiness than material possessions Yes. And one yeah, one reason for that is is the kind of memories that we have of them. So experiences just get better with memory. As you tell those stories, as you look back at the photos, they just get richer and more valuable whereas material possessions get older and they break and they get dusty and obsolete, right? So experiences just live on in our memory and we can kind of facilitate that by looking at our photos, by, by looking at souvenirs if we have any, by reliving those memories with our travel companions, by, um, yeah, all of, all of that, looking at our journals. And so that's just one way, like consciously uh, reminiscing. But another is kind of thinking, and I was touching on this a little bit before, but thinking about the things that you loved about yourself and the things you loved about this place. So are there any of those things that you might be able to import into your everyday life? There might have been a cuisine that you fell in love with. Maybe you could learn to make it at home. Um, maybe you love the language of a certain place. You could, you could try to learn it. Um, maybe watching films that were set in that location. So little ways that you can bring some of what you loved about a place into your everyday, into your everyday life. Fantastic. Well, Jamie, this has been really enlightening. I know that our listeners will love it. And your book, The Happy Traveler, it's uh, just a must-read for summer before you go on vacation, I feel, because I've, uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed going through it and um, really hope that, that our readers and listeners will pick it up as well. For more about happy traveling, log on to livehappynow.com. More information is always available about all of our guests by clicking on that website. And while you're tootling around the Internet, feel free to let us know what you thought about this episode. You can find us on Twitter at LiveHappy, Facebook.com slash LiveHappy, or you can send us an email, podcast at LiveHappy.com. For Paula Phelps and Jamie Kurtz, I'm J.R. Houston saying so long, and thank you for helping us to live happy.